I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey. Without a strong why, it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you. Hi everyone, I'm Jason Ballara and this is the Know Your Why podcast. Today I'm here with Christine and Danny Bellish. Uh, they're married business partners and co-founders of the, Biz- the Bellish team, sorry, a real estate investing firm dedicated to helping passive investors prepare and build wealth through strategic real estate acquisitions. So um, I'll stop there. Your, your bio is very interesting and um, also, maybe we'll touch on some of what we talked about before we started recording. But um, first, I just want to say to you guys, th- thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for taking the time out today to come talk to me. Thanks for having us. Yeah, we, we really it. appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, awesome. Why don't we just start? Let's let's hear your background. Let's hear your story. Um, kind of, you know, whether that's individually as a couple, however you want to tell it, and then we'll just kind of dive in from there. We are glued at the yeah. Hip, so. yeah, I was gonna, I was there is say no our... story without each other. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it's funny because we actually, we started working together um, before we launched our business together. That's actually how we met. So we met working in the corporate advertising industry. Um, I left the industry in 2018. Danny still has a W-2 working full-time in the advertising industry. Um, I left in 2018 to pursue our real estate investing business. And it was really because we wanted to, like most people, generate more passive income. And we didn't really see a way to do that, like climbing the corporate ladder. So, yeah. Yeah. So that's how we started. That's how we met. We met at work. Um, And yeah, like Christine said, once we, you know, we were doing really well at work, we were climbing the corporate ladder and really hustling in the New York City rat race nine to five. And we knew that there was more out there for us. And we wanted to do more with our time, right? We didn't want to work until we were 65. And, you know, we kind of looked around us. And while we respected and admired the people who were around us and above us, we didn't necessarily want to lead the same lifestyle that they did. So we kind of looked at each other we read a couple of books on real estate investing, uh, one of which was Multifamily Millions by David Lindahl. And ever since then, I was like, I need to start buying apartment buildings tomorrow. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. makes sense. I think that that uh, how a lot of us get it, you know, you, you just come across that that book or that podcast or that, you know, post on Instagram, whatever it is, something that you're like, wait a minute, this sounds perfect. This fits, this fits exactly into my goals. Um, so, so 2018, you said, Christine is when you, when you left, uh, the W2 and did you, maybe we're going to get to this. Sorry if I interrupted, but did you kind of start real estate investing before that? Or you were just like, okay, I'm out. I'm going to be the one that focuses on real estate investing. You know, Danny, you, you be the one that sort of brings home money so that we, we can still pay the bills. Uh, how, how did that, you know, sort of all of that start in, in the transition? Yeah. So um, we actually, like a lot of people, I would say, we started by getting our real estate licenses. So while we were both still working full-time in our W-2s in the city, uh, we went really cute after work every Wednesday to like our real estate salesperson classes. Um, we just really didn't know where to start. We didn't know how to break into the industry. We never bought or sold any properties before. So we were like, you know, at least we're taking action and we're getting started here. So we went and we got our licenses. Um, Danny bought one investment property before I left. It was a condo in a 55 plus community that his dad co-signed with him. (laughs) Um, so that, that was like our first relationship, uh, like first experience in our relationship um, with a real estate invest investment. But Danny learned a lot in that experience, I would say. I, I don't think he was super well prepared at the time. It was awesome that he took action, but um, he had a crazy tenant. It was also in Florida. We live in New Jersey. He didn't really have the right property management in place. Um, so he ended up selling that for, did he make a little bit or break no, even? No, totally or? broke even. Yeah, and, so he didn't lose. <laughs> yeah, well. but, 
you know, at the time, it, you know, I was not experienced, but very gung ho and very entrepreneurial. And I wanted to do something. So with the first 50 K that I have, that I had ever saved, you know, I knew that I wanted to purchase some cash flowing assets. And this was something that I did. And the learning lessons had a lot to do with managing a property out of state, right? And really trusting somebody to be there to either maintain it, to collect rents, to make sure your tenants are happy. And I just wasn't equipped to do that at the time. So I ended up exiting that property, breaking even, but then turning some of that cash in addition to some more savings that we had, like from Christine Severance, into our next project, which was a hundred year old duplex in a really awesome beach town called Asbury Park in New Jersey, super upcoming and hip. Um, so it was this hundred year old gut renovation job. Uh, and it, we ended up working with a total nightmare contractor. So yeah, <laughs> so this hundred year old duplex project, which was uh, about 1100 square feet, mind you, ended up taking about nine months to renovate. And oh. uh, we mm -hmm. went like 50K over budget. So um, we also found out that our contractor was sleeping in the house, which <laughs> my first thought was you're sleeping in the house and we're behind schedule. I don't understand like what you're doing on a daily basis. That's yeah. why he was That's why he was behind schedule because he needed a place to sleep. So yeah, he just, exactly. He's like, exactly. I'm going to slow this one down a little bit so I have a place to live for the next nine months. Yeah, yeah. but but to rewind back um, to answer your question, we so I was let go from my job at the time, um, and that's really what prompted us to go down this path. Um, the day after I got let go, I literally had an interview, and Danny said to me, he was like, "Why are you interviewing? Like, why are you doing this? Like, you don't even like what you're doing. Like, you've been complaining. You've been complaining about what you've been doing for so long." Um, I did get a nice severance package. So I was going to get paid to not work for a few months anyway, which I felt was like a good cushion. He still had his job. Um, and we just kind of felt like now is the right time for us to try. And the worst case scenario would be I go back and get another job in corporate if I have to. So we started by working as real. I started working as a real estate agent because I wanted to bring in some extra income as we started, you know, building our investment portfolio. But me being the person that I am and everybody who knows me knows that I give 200% to everything that I do. Um, I spent all my time, effort and energy really helping the people that were looking to buy properties or sell properties versus focusing on, you know, analyzing properties to purchase for ourselves. So I was successful in being an agent for the first year, but we had no investment property to show for it. So after that year, I basically decided I didn't want to focus on other people's stuff anymore. And that's when we found this investment, this nightmare investment property that Danny is talking about that we still own today. Um, and on paper was, yeah. a, was a great investment, right? It's another one of those situations where in real estate, no matter how experienced you are, you don't know what you don't know. And th there's always a learning curve with everything, especially when you're doing a complete gut renovation for the first time. So I wouldn't recommend that as your first project. That's that's the first learning, okay? Yeah. <laughs> so we had a lot of learnings coming out of that project and we ended up burring that. So we did a cash out refi, pulled out about 50% of our equity and uh, it cash flows really well today. I think we made 16 or 17% yeah. on it last that's year. Fair. So. It's doing really well and it turned out really well, but that doesn't make up for the blood, sweat, and tears PTSD, and the yeah. that we're still experiencing today from it. And I think yeah. coming out of that project, the first thing that we thought to ourselves when we said, okay, now we have this one done, what's next was how could we possibly go through that again, right? So we wanted to find other avenues um, and thought there must be another way, there must be a simpler way, right? So we ended up going to a meetup in Manhattan that was for purchasing multifamily out of state. And what we thought it was, was, you know, purchasing duplexes, triplexes, quads, or even smaller apartment buildings, 10 units in areas that are, you know, have lower cost basis, have better, you know, tax rates, are more landlord friendly. And it turned out... Um, 
that that meetup ended up being about real estate syndication, which for your audience that don't know what that is, that's essentially when people pool their money and resources together in order to purchase often large, expensive commercial assets. And that's often led by a really experienced investor or operator who brings a deal to passive investors, totally hands-off passive investors, and everybody shares in the equity and the profits of that particular deal. Yeah. So we went there not knowing what syndication was. We thought we were going to be buying duplexes for cheap and being able to hire property managers out of state. But we walked away learning about syndication, which we were definitely skeptical about, but that changed the total trajectory of our real estate investing career. And that's what we do today. So the guys who were leading this particular meetup, um, these two individuals who are now our partners, they had hundreds of millions of dollars in assets under management, right? And they're there at this meetup talking about 200, 300 unit apartment complexes, big <laughs> development projects, retail spaces, office spaces, big conversions and things like that. And how, you know, we can participate in those deals. But, you know, and, and they were talking a lot about the returns that you can get for some of these deals, uh, even though you're totally passive investor. And they were, a lot of them were better than the returns that we were getting on our nightmare project. Yeah. So, Chris, so, you know, clearly it intrigued us, but, you know, I'm from New York, Christine's <laughs> from New Jersey. The first thing we did was look at each other and say, Meh, I don't know. Give people $50,000 and just trust that they're going to do what they say. Like, I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> it seems like a little too good to be true, right? So, yeah. Yeah. So we, I mean, it did seem like it was too good to be true, but we did a lot of research. We spent nine months getting to know these guys. We, you know, listened to podcasts. We went on bigger pockets. We read books. We did all of our research. Um, we interviewed other passive investors who had invested with them before. We spoke with their attorneys. We were just trying to really make sure that these people are legit. <laughs> and, um, you know, we felt comfortable enough to bite the bullet and actually invest passively with them after doing nine months of research. And, um, you know, I think it really just clicked in our heads that when we had undertaken our Asbury Park project, that duplex, that we had bet on ourselves who had no experience, <laughs> you know, to, to make us money or to at least not lose money. And um, our partners and the people who we invested with at the time, they had 10 years experience. And like Danny said, hundreds of millions of dollars of assets under management, thousands of investors who had invested with them. We were just like, we could trust a professional, you know, who knows what they're doing to hopefully not lose us money. Um, that just seems like it made more sense to us. So that's how we got started in syndication. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a great, I mean, good on you for for doing so much due diligence on them though like i think um honestly probably more than a lot of people do especially i guess if you've if you had not met them before that that meetup so so really good that you kind of did all of that research and i mean I, I, you said before you know you, you bought the condo you bought the duplex like these these not ideal projects, but, but the reality is, is you did take action. You did something, you, you, you kind of got started. And it, it's also the reality that that's probably what most people think of when they think of real estate investing, right? They're like, someone tells them they should invest in real estate, or they hear some, you know, piece of content on social media or, or whatever, just that says, Hey, you, you should really invest in real estate. That'll, that'll make your life better. And it's like, not real, like, <laughs> investing in a nightmare renovation duplex doesn't really make your life better, but yep. you can make money. I mean, you, you can, you can make money on that and you, and you are making money on that. And so it's an important thing for people when they're deciding, you know, like, I think the fact is like, probably you could argue that everyone should invest in real estate. The question really should be, are you going to be active or are you going to be passive? Exactly. And I think, I think that, and, and in our experience, you know, on the GP side of things like leading syndications, 
a, you're exactly right. Like a lot of our conversations are just educating people about what syndication is first and foremost, because most people are not familiar with it. Right. But the reason why we were really drawn to syndication to begin with is because there is the opportunity to be completely passive and, you know, owning rental real estate is considered passive income, but we can speak firsthand from the experience that we've had that it's, it's not. not passive. <laughs> like, like it's not, it, it's not, and that's passive. not just from a management perspective, right? It's from a finding a deal, getting mm -hmm. lending on that deal, yep. closing on that deal, finding tenants for that deal, doing any renovations and having it be consistent and, and being consistent in your operations enough to be able to cash flow and make it worth your while versus, yeah. you know, fast forward to today where we have, you know, a hundred of our own investors and 90% of them have never heard of syndication before. And I think what most people don't realize is this happens all over the world in every single industry. It just mm -hmm. happens in, in different ways. One of the analogies that, you know, that I make sometimes when I'm talking to an investor is, you know, when you're watching a movie and before that movie actually begins, you see all of these different production companies, all of these different producers, all of these different sponsors, all of these brands that come on the screen. All of those companies came together to actually fund this project and they all share in the proceeds and the profits of the movie. So it, it happens all over the place and every building, you know, that you can look around if you live in a downtown metro um, and a lot of, you know, even secondary and tertiary markets, a lot of these apartment complexes are owned by investment groups, mm -hmm. groups of individuals, not necessarily big private equity or institutional, you know, investors. Yeah, no, that's a. I love I love the movie analogy. I haven't really heard anyone talk about it that way, but but you're right. It's 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 everywhere. It's it's in businesses. You know, people. I think, and and I thought this. Like, I think people think, and and still do think, and it, that like large apartment complexes or businesses, things like that, are just bought by a person like there's some uber rich person that owns every apartment building or you know or a black rock or a bank yeah. or so or like right. some so, big private equity right or yeah. the some, business actually owns that owns the property and and operates yeah. there which a lot yeah. of times is not the case right and even for i mean for like large companies right like like mm -hmm. i know investors that own real estate that like you know, Starbucks rents out or what, you know what I mean? Like, like these large companies, you wouldn't have thought that you would think they just own everything, right? That they, but it, mm -hmm. but that's not their area of expertise. Like Starbucks makes coffee. Like they have yep. a good system. I mean, I don't drink coffee, so I don't really, I can't <laughs> even speak to coffee, but that's what wow. came to my mind. But like they have a, a system in place where they create these, you know, very popular franchise locations basically, but, but like, they don't necessarily own the real estate McDonald's does. And people mm -hmm. sometimes will say McDonald's is like one of the world's biggest real estate companies because yep. they own their own real estate. So it's, it's just realizing that the way that things work, these big, large scale commercial projects, most of the time is actually just broken down into a bunch of little pieces. And mm -hmm. whether that's investors or that's as you mentioned like different production companies different sponsors for a movie uh other examples that i that i use with people sometimes racehorses like most people most racehorses that are actually good and winning money and worth a lot of money are not owned by a single person sports teams right mm -hmm. like you you'll have a a name that's the head of whatever that syndication is for the for the sports team but it's like like i'm from boston the red sox Everybody talks about John Henry as the owner, but John Henry's not the only owner. Like there's a mm -hmm. number of other people involved in that. And it happens with all kinds, like there are some teams that are owned by one, the Yankees are owned by the Steinbrenners, like, but that's because they've owned them forever. Right. right like, that's a generational wealth situation. Right, like that's just been passed down. <laughs> yeah. And like the, the Clippers were bought by Steve Ballmer that, that, that owns Microsoft, or I don't know if he still owns Microsoft, but like the, it does happen but that's not the norm. And like, even those uber rich people can't go out and buy every single sports team. And like, they have other business ventures that are divided up among. So I actually think that's, a, it's a great point and like thing to 
to really highlight is that it's it's you can these things seem scary to people like there's no way I could you know you go into to one of these cities you, you go downtown you're like there's no way I could own one of those office buildings or one of those big you know high-rise apartments yes you can you just will own a piece of it right so it's yeah. like there's uh it it everyone can you know literally anyone can be involved in these in these types of projects I was going to say one of the things that you just said really struck a chord with me when you were talking about how even the uber rich people you know even if they might be able to afford to own a sports team on their own or own an apartment complex on their own a lot of times they choose not to mm -hmm. because it's too much exposure right and they prefer more diversification in their portfolio so they'd rather own a smaller piece of a bunch of different things right mm -hmm. and spread their risk all over the place and increase their potential for profit um and I, I just, yeah. So I think that that's something that's important to mention too, is like, regardless of how rich you are, like rich people still get mortgages, rich people still, you know, well, wealthy people that, that that's, you know, Use it's a leverage. great, exactly. And leverage comes yeah. in different ways, yeah. right? Leverage is not necessarily just from a bank. Leverage can come from individuals as well. So, yep. you know, in any one of our deals, whether it be a multifamily deal or, you know, you were talking before like Starbucks, we actually bought $3 stores last year. So yep. we have, we bought two family dollars and a dollar general in a fund that we have that buys assets just like that. And whether we're buying, you know, multifamily, a, a development or redevelopment, we're now converting an office building into 104 A-class units or these net lease properties. We have, you know, 50 some odd investors per deal. So yep. it's very, um, it's, you know, very exposed to an individual market. And we started, you know, with our friends and family and with our network of, you know, just people who <laughs> don't have right. the, who don't have the time or the inclination or the resources to necessarily go after real estate themselves. Or they don't want to be landlords. <laughs> or, or they are aspiring investors like we were who wanted to learn how do people take down a 300 unit apartment complex? Mm -hmm. How do people buy land um, and, and make the best use of that? How do they buy these retail and office spaces? So what we really did was after we invested in those first two deals and started to see some returns from them and knew that this was an area that we wanted to pursue, Christine and I are not necessarily the individuals who like just love starting from the bottom and, and figuring <laughs> it out, even though we've had, you know, our rough patches and our hurdles that we've had to go over. We just went straight to these guys who had about half a billion dollars in assets under management. And um, we used sort of a, a principle that we had applied in our careers, which was, you know, to really always try to add value to people and try to become people's best friends. So essentially like we said, we come from an advertising, marketing, um, branding, investor relations background. So we took it upon ourselves to do like an entire audit of their consumer facing business, of their investor facing business, of their broker facing business, and look at their website, their social media. And now as investors, we could see firsthand exactly. what their communications were. So we wrote them an entire presentation, basically without them knowing, of how they could better all of these areas and make their business much more efficient so that they could get more investors, get better deals, have better communication with their investors, et cetera. Um, and we asked them for an hour of their time. We presented it to them. They absolutely loved it. And we told them that we would execute it for them. Just again, trying to build a good rapport with them, trying to build a great relationship and get them to see that we were an extremely valuable um, me potential member of their future team. Yeah. And I think I think for us too, in the experience that we had on the Nightmare Project, which we'll keep going back to. <laughs> um, never forget. Yeah, yeah, we'll never forget it. Um we just realized that the skills that we were using for that project were not in our wheelhouse. Like with our corporate backgrounds, when we first got started in real estate, we felt like we felt like we didn't have any skills to like add value. And yeah. we and we felt like we didn't know where to start because we we didn't have a lot of experience in real estate. But 
after we learned about syndication and after we invested passively and we learned more, you know, about how our partner's business operates, we realized that a lot of the skills that we learned and we perfected in corporate were actually very well suited to, you know, to help add value to a syndication business. So that's what we did. Like Danny said, we, we invested with them passively. So we put our money where our mouth was. We, um, we consulted on their business for free for a year. Um, and then basically, you know, after that year, we were presenting an investor relations strategy to them. Um, at the time, they were still, even though they had, you know, a half of a billion of assets under management, they were still a startup. They didn't even have a dedicated investor relations manager on their team at that time. So we helped come up with a job description. We helped come up with the roles and responsibilities. And um, the standards to which they yeah. should be holding themselves and, and their investors. Yeah. And so we were presenting this to, to them. And I think at that time, actually, <laughs> they thought that I was basically volunteering to be that person because I do have a background doing it. Right. <laughs> but I was like, no, I'm not trying to come work for you. I can just go get paid a lot more money in corporate doing that if I want. But um, at the end, I was just basically like, so we've invested with you. We've built a great relationship. We're friends now. You see how well we work for you for free. Would you consider like bringing us in on the GP side um, for a future deal? And they were like, yep, absolutely. You guys have demonstrated your value. Like we can tell how hardworking you are and trustworthy. You guys show up. Um, you know, we're working on a 291 unit, you know, acquisition in Cleveland right now. Do you guys want in? And we were like, yes, <laughs> let's go. And that was our foray into it. So they said yes. And it was yeah. like a holy crap moment. And then, yeah. and then, okay. And then the shoe dropped and they were like, and what do you think about raising a million dollars for that? And we were like, Ooh, <laughs> Danny's texting me from the other room. Literally like, don't agree to that. <laughs> Um, you know, and we're used to talking about money coming from our sales and advertising background, but it's totally different. As I know, you know, going to friends and family and loved ones and, you know, asking them right. to go into their savings to invest with you. So, yeah, uh, I was, I always like to ask people about, you know, how their, um, past career paths might've contributed to, because I think exactly like you said, like you think okay, I'm getting into real estate and I have no, like I have zero skill that, that translates to real estate. And, <laughs> and it's like, what's interesting is, is, okay, maybe you don't know how to renovate a building. Like you don't necessarily know construction, but when you look at syndication, it's really a, it's a business. Each, each property, each project is a business in and of itself. And there are all of the components of marketing, project, project management, investor relations, like all of those things are involved. So um, I love that you shared that story because I, I think that's an important thing for people to realize. I also, if anybody's listening and is comes from the marketing side and wants to do this for me because they <laughs> they want to get involved somehow, like that would be amazing. I was going to ask you, you said they received it well. I was going to be like, I hope they received this well because I would be thrilled if this <laughs> exact scenario happened because it. I know it's not my strength. So it, I think one thing that's become very clear to me in within the space is is that the marketing the the investor relations like that side of it is is equally as important as like the operational side which is where I think I'm strong so finding you know partners that that are good at that stuff and and good you know it's gonna it's gonna translate to um I don't not easy capital raising but like a better understanding of capital raising and, and and probably more success because you know how to sort of properly package those opportunities for people to easily digest and make decisions, which is what really what you need to, to know. So tell me about that. Tell me about, you know, so they, they said, can you raise a million dollars? Then he says, <laughs> no, no, don't tell them that. Like, <laughs> how did, how did that go? What was your, um, like, how did you approach it? How, how did you that that was your first capital raise was with this yeah. deal. Yeah. How, how did you, what did you think? I mean, if you don't want to share like specific numbers, that's fine. I more want to know no, about no, yeah. kind of the process and the, and the, the, like the feelings of how it going through. Cause I, I find it a, a, the most stressful part of the business is, is capital raising, but I, I know some people are fantastic at it. So it's just kind of like, mm. it's just different skill sets. 
this is Danny's wheelhouse. So I'm going to let him take that one. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I've been in sales in the corporate world for a long time. Plus, like, frankly, I love making friends with people and I have no qualms about talking to anybody at any time about anything. So um, it, it kind of at first was daunting. And that's why from the other room, I was like, don't agree to that. Just because <laughs> thinking about never having raised a dollar and then thinking about your inner circle, your first thought is, well, who has money from my friends group that right. I could tap into? <laughs> Can I get to a million dollars? I don't know. That seems crazy. But yeah. once you kind of like keep your cool and you you remember all of the principles, at least for us coming from that sales background, that make you successful in that field, it's first and foremost, being friendly, being genuine, educating people, right? All of that goes into marketing, right? Mm -hmm. I, to me, marketing is just being a good friend, being educational, making sure that you are being consistent. Accessible. And, mm -hmm. Always accessible, always transparent and communicative. Um, and also making sure that what you're asking other people to get into is something that you'd be willing to get into yourself, right? Sure. Or it, in this case, invest in yourself. You have to seriously believe in it and know everything about it top to bottom. So from point A of, we need you to raise a million bucks. Um, we reached out to every person that we've ever met in our entire lives, basically, to make this happen. Yeah. Because at this point, it would, there was no turning back, right? It was kind of hell or high water. Sure. So, you know, you start with your immediate circle um, and you start to expand from there. Um, I, I think one thing that was good for us was because we had that stint as realtors, we had already started marketing ourselves and already started exposing ourselves to our network as people who were in and around the real estate space and mm -hmm. understanding of the real estate market. Yeah. So for us to, you know, a year after doing that, say, hey, we're getting into new and great real estate investing opportunities, I don't think was such a stretch. Mm -hmm. So um, to kind of make a long story short, and after reaching out to all of these people, we ended up uh, raising $1.5 million for that deal. Yeah. Awesome. Which was massive and, <laughs> and a crazy and huge and astonishing yeah. accomplishment even yeah. for us. And, you know, like there were definitely times along the way, especially because it was our first time doing this, that we strayed from the success principles that we knew in our heart and in our professional experience were the right things to do. So we did make mistakes, like seriously, in the beginning, because we were so overwhelmed, like, how do we reach this goal? We were sending text messages to people where we were like word vomiting, like every detail about the deal. Yeah. And and we literally want to get involved in this deal. This is the address. This yeah. is the thing. These are the returns. Like people had to scroll. It didn't fit on their on their phone. I right? literally got a text from somebody that said, "This is the longest text I've ever received." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so you know, you have to you have to put yourself in somebody else's shoes and think about how you would want somebody to communicate with you and. And and I think I think that this is probably something that people have heard, you know, time and time again, but I'm just going to say it again anyway. Um, you need to ask people questions and you need to get to know them and you need to know what their goals are, um, what their fears are, um, and do your best to, you know, explain to them in a way that makes sense to them why this opportunity may or may not make sense for them. And I think that it's also fair and that you will actually win over more investors in the in the long run if you're frank with somebody if the deal that you're working on does not meet the goals that they're looking for people are going to appreciate that and they're going to respect that and they're going to trust you more so it's building the trust it's um it's being accessible and it's being honest and open and super communicative and i think a lot of the other part is not just showing up when you have a deal to sell them yeah. right like we are you know, whether you've invested with us or not, you know, we like to be consistent with people and, you know, let them know that we are thinking about them. So, you know, when I first talk to somebody, whether it's somebody I know for a long time or somebody I just met, I really want to get to know 
you know, where do you live? What do you do for a living? Are you married? Do you have kids? What are your hobbies? What do you like to do? Where do you vacation? I really like to know all these like personal things about them so I can find places where I can relate to them on a personal level and not just be able to, you know, offer them a real estate investment because ultimately that person or the majority of investors are going to invest with you if they know, like, and trust you, right? Like that's, that's the adage is, is the no like, and trust factor. To me, that, that speaks volumes a lot more than it does necessarily the deal. Cause I've been offered deals, you know, that have incredible projections, but I don't know if they're true unless <laughs> I trust you as an individual, <laughs> right? So yeah. I think that's where a lot of it comes down to and that type of consistency of messaging and also friendly tone of voice and friendly approach, I think makes all the difference. And on top of that, what we had sort of taught our, you know, our part, our now partners, we hold ourselves to the highest possible standard. We were once in your shoes. We were passive investors also. We know what it's like. We know the questions you should be asking. We know the you know, the things that should be taking place. So we really hold ourselves to, you know, five-star service as much as we possibly can. I think just one last thing to mention um, is that, yes, marketing is obviously a huge piece and marketing and sales are like very closely related. But mm -hmm. for us, where we see some, you know, other people that are our peers fall short is that they're not willing to spend the one-on-one -on -one time building relationships with people. And that's where you're really going to lose out. And I mean, I know that you mentioned before, even you're like, this is probably the space that like, I need more help with, but that's great that you have the self-awareness to know that. And I'm sure that you surround yourself with other people on your team who maybe are, you know, stronger suited in that, in that arena. So for us, you know, we're not expert you know, underwriters or deal finders necessarily, but when it comes to putting in the time, getting to know people and educating them and getting all of their questions answered, um, you know, we're great at that. Two things that we do that I think lean into what Christine is talking about is number one, we don't pre-qualify anybody, right? I don't care what your background is. I don't care if you're a retiree. I don't care if you're a teacher. I don't care if you're a CEO. I don't, I don't care what your background is. I will make the time to talk to you. And we were super surprised. And the reason why is because we're super surprised with the people who have actually ended up investing with us. And if we had, you know, just judged them at first glance or like the first thing that came to our mind, is this person really going to invest with us or not? We would have missed out on a lot of, you know, people who actually ended up investing with us. So And, and their friends too. Yeah. The, the other thing that we don't do is we don't, put real time limits on our conversations. So you'll see in this business, people send 15 minute Calendly invites. I don't know how much information you're able to ascertain from somebody in 15 minutes yeah. when there should be an exchange of background and dialogue and information. And I don't know what you're supposed to accomplish. So maybe, you know, in, in 10 years from now, we, we might not have all the time in the world, but we'll spend two hours on a phone call if somebody wants to do that, because we, we feel like that's the best way to give back to that community. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, uh, I love both of those points The that, you know, not, not prequal. And I mean, I guess I, I realize why some people do it right. There's, there's, you know, some people are only, they're only bringing in accredited investors. They're only, but, but I think if you're, if you're truly focused on that, you know, edu educational component to these conversations, then it is, you're you're gonna miss out on some people and 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 miss out on their education by by pre-qualifying or by by limiting that time frame. I mean, I had uh, an investor couple that I think we had at least two hour hour and a half Zoom calls to talk wow. about stuff, and like one time was to go through the PPM. They had never seen a PPM before, and I was like, okay, mm -hmm, yeah. that's a reasonable question, like. We, yeah. we talk, you know, people talk all the time. Like, this is not a thing that I've ever seen anyone talk about in like the educational programs or stuff like that. But it's like, okay, here, here are the things, you know, you talk to you invest, the investors, you, you, you educate them, you teach them all this stuff, you get them interested in the deal. They say, okay, I'm in. And then you send them like a hundred page document that says, don't do this deal. <laughs> like, it's yeah, like, yeah, it, yeah, it, it's that's like, the hardest. 
it's like you oh. I, I feel like that's just like i mean the first one the first i did the same thing that, that you did like i started passively investing in the first one i saw i was like what what is this is scary like this makes it sound like yeah, a terrible exactly. idea. Yep, yep, yep. And that, that's what we say to our investors too when they start reading it. We're just like, this is literally covering every single bad thing that could possibly happen and how yeah. it would be handled. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, we, we did, I don't know, we went through it like an hour and a half. Like, this is this. And it's the same thing over and over again. Like, it, it's 100 pages, but could be 20. Like, it's it's just the uh -huh. same, like, reiterating the things yeah. that can go wrong over and but over. But I'm also yeah. so glad that you did that and you were able to walk them through it because, you know, I'm not trying to scare people out there, but like they really need to vet their sponsors too. They need to know that their operators and the people that they're investing with know what they're talking about. I guarantee, you know, a good portion of the operators that are out there wouldn't know how to walk somebody through a PPM. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we spend a lot of time with our SEC attorney, Christine and I have gotten a million questions about PPMs, and we go section by section to try to break it down in layman's terms for people because that's, that's part of it, right? Mm -hmm. You have to talk to people on their level and, you know, not talk over people, don't talk under people, really, that's part of getting to know somebody in their communication style and speaking to them in a way that they're going to understand. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, 100% agree. Um, well, listen, guys, I this is an awesome conversation. I would love to keep going, but I also don't want to keep you all day. And, and I know you're, <laughs> you're three hours ahead of me. I do want to get to the point where I get to ask you the questions that I ask every guest. So I guess this is probably a good point to switch gears and, and maybe we'll just have to do this again sometime. But um, the, the first question I ask every guest based on the name of the show being Know Your Why. So so what is your why? What what drives you towards success? And um each of these questions, feel free to answer together, separately, however, however it works. Some of them are more um, appropriate to be answered separately, but, but you know, as a couple, maybe you have a, a common why. But um, yeah, please, uh, please let's start there. What, what is your why? It's really financial freedom. And by that, you know, we're not just talking about money. We're really talking about time freedom. Um, money obviously helps that. <laughs> um, we both had experiences um, in our earlier lives where we had some financial issues with our families. And I think that going through those experiences, seeing, you know, the trials and tribulations and, you know, the hurt that it caused in our family has really, really um, inspired and motivated us to you know, build upon that, learn from those things and provide a better life for ourselves and our entire family. So that's also why we love what we're doing now in syndication, because we're helping our entire family build wealth, right? Like our parents invest with us, our cousins, our best friends, and um, it, it's an awesome journey to all be on together. Um, for me, it's a, it's a few things, obviously time freedom. Uh, I do want to be rich. <laughs> Like I do, you know, I, I'm not like afraid to say that I want a nice house and nice cars and nice things and, and have the opportunity to give back and, and have my family live a, a very comfortable life. Right. Like Christine said, my parents got divorced and what I thought was a comfortable living really turned out to be not so comfortable. And, you know, at, at an earlier age, I had to start covering you know, some of the bills for the family. And at that point, I was like, I'm never going to not feel financially independent. And I think ever since then, I've always been more entrepreneurial and I've always wanted for more. I, I also am very much of this mindset that it's 2023 and there are a billion ways to make money and a billion ways to live yeah. your life. And it does not have to be getting up Monday through Friday, going into an office and working for somebody else if that's not what you want to do. So I think we are very motivated by, you know, being able to work wherever, whenever we want to by, you know, by the age of 40, let's say. I'm, I just turned 36. So that's... So giddy up. Hopefully yeah. some of these deals will turn, will turn around, like you said, in a couple of years. Right, we'll yeah. <laughs> hurry, hurry. Yeah. yeah. So no, now we're on. You're still you know, young. You got plenty created, of time. Yeah. yeah. We've created like 
13 or 14 streams of income and everybody can do that. Everybody can yeah. do that. You just sure. have to make the right connections and find the right avenues. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny that um, those childhood experiences really impact, you know, kind of, and it, and it can be for good or bad, right? It can really impact your, your approach, your view on, on money and, and, you know, finances later on in life. I, I, similar, you know, it's similar kind of upbringing to, to what you described, Danny. And it's like, like I, I bought our family. This is going to tell you how old I am, but I bought our family, our first VCR. So like as at 15 or 16 or something like that, like I, I, I did that. Like we didn't have, we didn't have money. And, and it was like, cause you know, my mom, single mom raising two kids, like money went to food and having a place to live like that kind of thing so but but you you take that and you and that like really impacts how you approach things going forward and it's like you just don't you don't want to be in that position again really is like a lot exactly. of time like that's a lot of the why right it's like i just don't want to be i don't want to be like that i don't want i don't want my kids to to live like that I don't want my mom to ever have to go back to that. Like mm -hmm. there, there are just those things that happen early on that you can either decide to and truly decide to be the victim or decide okay. to break away and, and, and live a different life. And it's, it's just, um, I think, you know, that really, what you said there sort of really resonated with me just for, for those same reasons. It's like you're, you're participating in, in the bills and stuff as a, as a, you know, effectively a child but you my kids will not have to do that that's what mm -hmm. that's what I yeah. know like that's what I know yeah. in my heart no matter what that my kids will not have to do that and 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 so that's maybe that's maybe that's the why right like that's it yeah. just just being in, in the place you want to be um super cool second question for you and, and this one is is more of a feel free to answer for each other if you want but there's uh, tell us something about yourselves that is not common knowledge, right? So a special skill, a hobby, something that lets people know you a little bit better. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> like, I don't know. My whole life has revolved around work. Um, <laughs> I, something that's not common knowledge. I mean, I love singing. I was in acapella choir when I was in high school. Um, I think most people in my life know me as an athlete. I played collegiate softball, but I have a very artistic side to me. Um, a lot of my friends are in bands and I still love to go rock out at their concerts locally. Um, and, you know, I will always sing, um, I will always sing karaoke to Don't Stop Me Now from Queen, okay? <laughs> oh, wow. It's a good one. That, yeah. 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 That's uh, choosing queen for your karaoke is, is uh, you must be able to sing. So good for you. I love, <laughs> I love music as well. How about you, Danny? Uh, I guess mine now you, you kind of inspired mine is uh, I was in theater a lot as, <laughs> as uh, a high schooler and even in college. And, you know, I loved doing it. It was amazing. I, I would write and act, you know, star in a lot of the high school shows and, I think that kind of translated a lot to my personality as an adult and just kind of like being out there, being social, being extroverted. And, you know, like I said before, willing to talk to anyone at any time. Yeah. She'll, I'm kind of the guy that, you know, people will be like, oh my God, look, there's the celebrity over there. And they'll be like, wait, is that Danny talking to them? <laughs> Having drinks with them? Yeah. Are they hanging out? Are they best friends? <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm hiding in the corner, like, please don't go say hi. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure that that theater background impacts that a lot. It, it's uh, it, yeah, just kind of it sounds like a, a theme, right? Like you're in theater, you were, you know, in marketing. Now you're uh, using that for investor relations. So it all all really ties together very well. Um, and again, points to, points to people like are we? You have the skills. You have the skills. You just need to recognize where it fits into the picture. Um, when people hear this and they want to reach out, what's the best place? Um, you can, so we're really active on social media. You can follow us on basically any platform um, at the Bellish team. Uh, you can also visit our website, um, com, or you can shoot us emails. It's Christine or Danny at com. 
Awesome. We'll put that all in the show notes. Final question for you guys. What's a piece of advice you would give to someone getting started, um, you know, trying to get into the real estate game, whether it's as a passive investor or active investor, what, what would you tell them, um, you know, sort of to help steer them in the right direction? So I'll go first. And I feel like we, we have two things that, that we usually commonly say. So I'll, I'll hit on one of them. Um, I would say partner with experts to get to where you want to go sooner. Um, if we could go back and redo our nightmare project and we partnered with somebody who had more experience, um, I think at the time we were short-sighted to think that, you know, we didn't want to share the profits, but that also means that we would have been sharing all of the risk, right? And we could have been leaning on somebody's expertise rather than learning the hard way. Um, learn from people who have more experience than you and, and are successful in the space um, and partner with them where, where and when you can. Yeah. Yeah. It may not have taken nine months and you may not have had the contractor sleeping in the house. There were, yeah. <laughs> we would have happily taken half the profit yeah. and, right. and half the headaches. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think the other one is, um, to add value, right. Add value to get that part, right. How, how do you do that? It's, um, like the story we were telling where, you know, we kind of did an audit and we really looked into their entire business. But what I'll say is when you're going to try to add value to somebody that you want to be your partner or that you want uh, or, or someone that you admire, don't go to them and ask them what you can do for them. What I would offer is that people proactively really think about the area that they can, you know, tap into to support that person's business. And just like you were saying earlier, everyone has that, even if it's just your energy or your boots on the ground, or you can make a referral for them or something, figure out a way that you can help that individual. I'm also a huge proponent of saying thank you and showing admiration for people that you admire, of course, whether it's uh, a podcast host of a podcast you follow, an author of a book, uh, an event that you attend and somebody is the guest or a host, send them a thank you note after that event, after you've read that book, after you've listened mm -hmm. to that podcast, tell them how much you appreciate it. You have no idea how long of a way that's going to go for you. And when someone is actually just going to take you by your shirt and yank you up. Yeah. It's fantastic advice. It's fantastic advice. Uh, really, um, Really enjoyed this, guys. I, I think it was a, a phenomenal conversation. A lot of a lot of value added to the audience. Um, so thank you so much for coming on the show today and talking and telling your, us your story. I really do appreciate your time. Thanks for having us. We look forward to keeping the conversation going. Yeah, thanks, yeah. Jason. And we're going to do some business together. I, I feel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I definitely, I definitely feel that that uh, that is is coming in the future. Um, and for folks listening, uh, I'm sure you're going to love this episode. Please like, rate, and review the podcast. Um, it allows us to reach more people and get more phenomenal, phenomenal guests. So thank you. Thank you all for being here. And thank you all for listening. I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey. Without a strong why, it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you.